But anyways, let's uh let's get started with a, a nice little prayer. Um, okay, let's do this. Well, in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, nice. uh, Heavenly Father, we ask you to um to help us uh, reach many men, many people who are uh, struggling in their faith, but not just in their faith, also in uh, in everything else personally, through their struggles, through their um their loneliness, their their whatever they're going through. Uh, help us be tools and uh, instruments of 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 this faith that uh, there is a way to you. Um, it may not be easy, but uh, that you are our number one. And um, and we ask this uh, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, amen. And then my Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All right. So Sam, we're uh, we're finally here, man. Um, first episode first you know once before i continue welcome to the new brand new show pints pipes and cross catholic show i am your host jose a co-host sam all right well in this first episode we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna kind of you know spontaneously take off um let me introduce myself uh as some of you know my okay, name is Jose. Wait, wait, before, um, I was going to say before you introduce yourself, give a give a little spiel. Like, what, what? Yeah, what is Pines Pipes and Cross? What are we going to do? Uh, what's the show about? How? Why did we name it that? Yeah, what's going on with that, Jose? All right, so so we have an ex bartender here, and uh, you have <laughs> you know a normal Catholic guy here who you know loves cigars, uh, and we're both just. It just so happens we're both Knights of Columbus, and uh, that's how we met. I met him. We hit it off, and, you know, we're like, you know, let's start this show, you know. We couldn't come up with a name. Sam came up with this brilliant idea, this brilliant name, Pints, Pipes, and Cross. I added the Catholic show just because, you know, we're we're both trads. We we're traditionalists. We 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 attend the land mass. We're strong believers of this uh, of this sort of uh, liturgy, uh, and we'll explain more as time goes on. Um, now, white pints. Well, for those of you guys, beer, whiskey. For those of you guys who recognize, uh, sorry, I just wanted to say for those of you guys that recognize the uh, the the quote, uh, pints, pipe, and cross. We wanted to dedicate this to G.K. Chesterton, prominent Catholic writer, because. G.K. Chesterton, at least in uh, my opinion, Jose's opinion too, we've talked about this and that's why we made the dedication. G.K. Chesterton was one of the most prolific writers of you know, the 20th century and he had a way about professing his Catholicism that included these this idea of being able to indulge in pleasures of life while glorifying God. Not overindulge, we're not hedonists, not saying that. But pints, pipe, and cross, G.K. Chesterton understood that a good Catholic man could enjoy a good beer, could smoke a good pipe, and could still lay dedication to the Holy Cross and be a good, strong, practicing Catholic man when he needed to. He was also funny and humorous, and, you know, I hope that uh, me and Jose will be good, funny, humorous hosts on this show, and that we'll be able to have these conversations and have a little uh, jovial fun as we talk about whatever random thing comes up for each episode. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Jose. So we're not theologians. Let's put that out there. We're not theologians. We're not apologists. Apo- uh, wait, what's the right term? Apologetics? Apologists? Yeah, apologists. 
Mm-hmm. Apologist. Apologist. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Um, <laughs> we're not experts in the topic, but we are two Catholic men who believe that in order for, do I dare say it, for the church, for society, and for anything in life, we need to go back to tradition. Uh, we truly believe that tradition can restore a lot of people's faith. Uh, but don't don't think it's just G.K. Chester. Um, yeah, G.K. Chester 10. Man, mm-hmm. I'm like mumble jumble here. Um, yeah, you're nervous. We're going to be talking Shake about it C.S. It's the first, it's the first episode. <laughs> oh, man, having a co-host really, you know, it makes me nervous. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll have intellectuals such as C.S. Lewis. We'll talk about him. Um, you know, Ratzinger. We're gonna have we're gonna talk we're gonna have some good talks here, um, spontaneous talks, random talks, all with topics, but all with a purpose. Okay, um, but we have this show to bring to you as a gift, right? Um, just two guys who really just want to talk because the world never wants to talk hear it. Um, society really doesn't want to hear it. Uh, it's funny today at mass. Um, uh, the priest, I forgot what priest it was, but it was during Mass. In the homily, he said something that really motivated me to continue. Because honestly, it's not easy talking to the whole world, trying to be honest, and above all, be a Catholic in in the social media world, talking about our faith. He said something. Let alone he a Catholic that, man. Exactly. Exactly. He said pretty much... That a lot of people don't have God because, and how do you know? Because when you have God, you have joy. Even in your struggles, you have joy. But we don't see that nowadays. We see a lot of people who have quote unquote faith or that they believe in God. And especially men, you know, us men, we're very stubborn people. By nature, we're stubborn. Um, I'm a stubborn guy. And so we, we like to believe our lies, and a lot of people believe, you know, oh, God exists. But then the first struggle comes around, and there's no joy. God doesn't exist anymore. But then they're happy, and oh, God exists. And so if God truly exists in our lives, we'll be happy. There will be joy somehow. And he gave the example of saints. All, these, all the saints that we've had throughout the history of the church, they've all had that joy in the struggle. I mean, look at uh Padre Pio, you know, he struggled a lot, but still had that joy. I don't know if you want to add something to that. Think, um, well, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, hopping off of uh, everything that you said, you know, it's also not just going to be a look at theologians. It's also not just going to be a look at you know writings and. Um, you know, things like that. But we do want to take inspiration from these saints that we draw from. And that that's really it is uh, I'm hoping through this podcast, we're able to explore our thoughts, our feelings, the things that we experience as Catholic men. And as just, you know, you're kind of common every man lay Catholics in the church um, because that's what we wanted to bring to you guys from our perspective is that, look, we're not Matt Frad with Pints of Aquinas. We're not, um, you know, 
xyz big catholic joe talk rogan. show we're not catching foxes um yeah we're, yeah we're not joe rogan in the secular side but um we're just two kind of lay catholics who thought hey you know what we want to put our voices out there maybe someone will find them interesting maybe a lot of people will find it interesting who knows who knows where this will take us we're on episode one we may look back in a couple of years and see oh wow you know that uh that was a humble beginnings but we're just two lay catholic guys trying to figure out how to be saints and we have all of these examples from the church's history that we want to look to as well and hopefully we can shed some light on our experiences and how we view those saints and maybe it'll give you guys um a lens uh to look through as well um maybe you don't know some of the saints maybe you guys want to hear just other people's experience other guys experience we don't know that's um you know that's what we're putting out there and we want to see what happens and so yeah i'm hoping a lot of fruitful conversations come of this i'm hoping that we'll be able to um just turn this into something regular that we can talk about and get our feelings out and um yeah get uh our thoughts and words and become saints because that's ultimately the goal we want to become saints and we want to bring you guys along with us so you know I think on that note, Jose, let's hear. Okay, tell us about you. What? What? Who is Jose Aguilar? Like, who? Where did you come from? Uh, how did you grow up? Um, did you grow up Catholic? Yeah. Let's let's hear just a brief life story. You don't have to tell us every little detail. But um, what made you the man you are today? Oh, and what made a, you have this strong Catholic foundation? Oh, let's go. Let's hear it. Uh, all right. Let's see where to start. First of all, I was born in Mexico. I was born in a city called Aguascalientes. Uh, Aguascalientes. Um, uh, my parents brought me when I was one. Uh, you know, grew up a Catholic. You know, just like everybody else, a normal Catholic. Uh, go to church Sundays. My parents would just go Sundays. I would go with them. Um, and then, but we lived in California originally, and so we moved to California from Mexico. I was one, and then. Maybe about four years later, my sister's born. From there, we moved to Dallas, Texas. And um, so I consider Dallas my home 100%. Um, I've always been a diehard Dallas Cowboys, in case y'all were wondering. <laughs> a diehard Cowboy fan. Um, so I may lose – we it's may like lose a, some subscribers know, here, but Mexicans, hey, it's okay. Right? <laughs> hey, yeah, it's either Cowboys or Raiders. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So, uh, so from there, you know, my parents, you know, they joined a group in, in, in the Catholic church, um, a novice ordo, uh, pretty much group. I'm not going to name the group because I don't want, you know, there to be some controversy of me attacking them or whatnot, but they joined this group. And so I kind of, you can say I grew up in the church, uh, at a very early age at about six. and um. Once again, Novus Ordo, you know, I grew up just, you know, and I'm just going to throw this out there because I know that many men don't like talking about it, but I'm a, I'm a very open person. I've, um, I would like men to kind of take us as an example, you know, I'm going to get a little personal because I feel that's a good way to evangelize. Um, when we lived in California, I was sexually abused, um, which shook my faith. Um, it shook it, it shook it so much that growing up, although my parents were in the Catholic church, um, I struggled, I struggled very much. Um, 
I, of course, like a typical t- typical uh, teenager, I had my struggles, you know, of course, being sexually abused at the age of three, you kind of grow with your sec- sexuality very distorted. Um, you don't find a, nor- a normality behind it. And so, of course, my sexuality began to bother me growing up, you know, uh, especially in my teenage years. Um, so from there, uh, I ended up going to the seminary at, at the age of 19, um, was studying to be, be a priest and God had, had his own way. He somehow, you know, sent me back to Dallas. I was studying in New Jersey, uh, sent me back to Dallas after really quick, four before years. You continue, of uh, yeah. Jose, uh, before you continue, uh, can you expand on like what led you to seminary and all that? So, cause that was, that's kind of a jump, right? Like you're struggling with, um, the thing you're struggling with this horrible, horrible experience, you know, as a kid and, that's with you in your life, but what, what really led you to seminary? How did that, you know, true, true. affect your decision to go to seminary? Um, you know, you, so, you, you stayed in the faith, but yeah, what, what's, what's all that? So throughout my rebellious years, I, uh, I've had, you know, many thoughts, you know, suicide, um, leaving the church, not believing in God, kind of having my atheist moments. Um, mm-hmm. until it's funny, what made me truly realize that, I needed to change was the fact that during a retreat in one of these uh, church retreats that the group does, I had a seizure, uh, you know, partying all weekend with the, with the other rebellious kids. Um, <laughs> I had a seizure and that was kind of, kind of like the eye opener. Um, and so through that eye opener, I began to notice that my friends were my friends, uh, that people that, said they cared about me, never cared about me. And so I was left alone, you know, and um, that's where God kind of came to me and made me feel that he truly existed, that he is. Um, But it was in my struggle that I felt that. Um, And I would get into a little theological stuff, but I'm not going to do that just because I want to be short. But um, I had this moment where I, I, I knew he was calling me to do something. Uh, what was it? I didn't know, right? So at that time, I thought it was a calling to the seminary. And so I, I left to the seminary. Um, once again, I got, it wasn't that I chose New Jersey. You kind of get lauded at random uh, from Italy. You get you go to Italy and you meet the rest of these people that are going to seminaries and we all get lauded. So I got lauded to New Jersey. Others got sent to Vienna. Others got sent to Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil. Um, it's quite the experience. So pretty much that gesture, that that what I did was giving my all to God um, because I had a certainty that he existed and I wanted to be happy because I wasn't. The answer to my life was always trying to figure out how to stop my sexuality from stopping, from 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 making me happy. I had... I had I had built a wall with my sexuality, and so I couldn't get past that wall. And I was at that point where I just couldn't I couldn't see clearly. And so I went to the seminary uh, at the age of nineteen after I had this whole uh, experience. Uh, went to the seminary for about four years, four or five years. I think it was four. Anyways, came back. I love Jersey, by the way. It's not as stinky as people think. I love it. 
Um, and no, the, I'm not a Giants the armpits fan. Armpits of America, as some people say. I've heard Houston is that, but I have a debate for that too. <laughs> um, so went to seminary. Uh, once again, Novus Ordo. At this point, I came. This is where things be, really begin to change because I I came across the Latin Mass without knowing it. Um, to me, I heard Latin Mass that we were the Latin Mass Church, but um, for some reason, I thought it didn't exist. I thought it was just done. That that was something old people did back in the day, and then Second Vatican Council came, and this is what we're doing now. So. But that's where my interest first kicked in, right? Uh, why was it so different? And all these questions. Anyways, I don't want to get into that just yet. Um, went to this Novus Ordo uh, seminary, left uh, with the blessing of the rector and, and, and everybody else, came back and uh, kind of, you know, messed up at first. Uh, my, my belief since I never truly had a suffering besides the sexual abuse growing up, I never really had an encounter again, a deep, deep, deep encounter of suffering a hundred percent. So then I started, you know, I had a girlfriend started sinning so much with her. Um, and of course I'm a, I'm a talking code, right? I think everybody understands what I mean by sin. <laughs> um, uh, started doing things with her. For about a year and a half to two years and uh was enlightened to kind of you know let her go and shortly after met my wife and fell in love with her automatically first love at first sight and uh yeah as catholics we don't really truly believe that 100 percent, but i that's what happened with me <laughs> uh saw her and i knew automatically in my heart that she was the one and um that's a different story for another day um and uh so I continued, you know, going to another order, but I began to feel empty, uh, extremely empty because, yeah, I was going, I was going, but something was missing. Um, it, it, I felt as if it was incomplete. Uh, I'm not sure if if I make sense. It, it felt like, like yeah, it's it, everything is there, but something was missing of it, and uh, and next thing you know. Here comes this one article about uh, young people from CNA, actually, uh, the Catholic Catholic news agency, uh, speaking about young people attending the Latin Mass more than anything else. And so that really triggered me even more to look into it. Uh, I started doing my research uh, all while being in this group, right? Um did my research, started researching, and I started discovering a lot of beautiful things. Uh, mind you, I was doing my research not because I wanted to attend at all. My plan was never to become a traditionalist. My plan was never to leave the Novus Ordo or to leave the group I was in. Um, it was all just for research. That's all it was. Well, my research kept on going. I started discovering beautiful things, beautiful things. Um and one day, believe it or not, Shia LaBeouf was interviewed by Bishop Barron. And he had, he said something that resonated with me because that's how I felt. And he said the following, and I quote, he said, Bishop Barron asked him, why the Latin Mass? What, what's, why did he like it 
so much. And he said the following. I didn't, I felt, what I feel in the land mass is I don't feel like, no, how do you say it? I, in the land mass, I don't feel like someone is trying to sell me something. It was an authentic thing that he felt. And that's what I felt. I would go to to normal mass, you know, and I felt like they were really trying to convince me of something, trying to sell me something. And, and, uh, and that's what I felt. So um, at this point, I was in Houston still living. And then I moved to Dallas uh, for work. And um, I attended my first land mass. Once again, mind you, it was just for research. It wasn't, it wasn't for me to like attend a hundred percent. I went to land mass, um, uh, and I was going through some deep, uh, troubles economically with my family, um, to the point of suicide again. Um, I had thought about suicide more heavily this time because, uh, the devil does attack. Uh, the devil does exist and he does, he knows where to get you. Um, and so my life is at the brink of, of, of being, of being done. Um, so I attend my first land mass. It was a low mass and, uh, I was hooked. I went once, started going again and again. At first it was just research. And then little by little, I began to, to discover something beautiful. Um, and, uh, just continue. I mean, up, up until now, I just see something more beautiful than anything ever before. Um, I just continued going. And ever since then, I just you know, decided to leave the group. Of course, it was tough because when you leave a group that you, you grew up in and your brothers, your siblings were born into, it's very difficult to, to really leave. You risk a lot. Uh, but at this point, it's not so much about the people. It's so much about my faith and it's and about about my family and the happiness and having God a hundred percent. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty me. That's pretty much me in a nutshell. Um, I do have more, but I think as a pot as a show goes on, uh, a little bit more of me will start coming out and being expressed. Yeah, no, so, that was a, yeah, that was, I feel like a great you, overview. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're from El Paso. That's more scary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe to some, maybe to some. Uh, so I don't think that I have a story that's, uh, quite as exciting as yours, but, uh, I think, you know, I do still have a story to tell. So, right. Um, you know, born and raised in El Paso, Texas, um, uh, lovely city. It's an awesome place to grow up. It's, uh, for several years, and I don't know if this is still the case, uh, was considered the safest city in America. Um, part oh. of that is due to the military base, right? Um, El Paso is built off of uh, Fort Bliss. Um, just statistically, I don't know. Uh, crime was down. I, I actually don't know how you rate that kind of thing. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, that's that that's the stat that it held on to. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, it's scary and it's dangerous because Juarez was the most dangerous city in the world, right? Right across the border. Um, but, uh, no, El Paso, yeah, safest city in America for however many years. Anyway, born and raised there, grew up there, um, you know, uh, born to two Catholic parents. Um, and, uh, what I found in our Catholic community was a kind of, um, 
I don't want to say Catholic indifferent indifferentism per se, but um, it was a lot of community members that were born into the Catholic faith, but were never really instructed what that meant. It was more like they were born Catholic because their parents were Catholic and they went to church because their parents went to church. But at some point that just became a habit and it didn't become a conviction. And I think that that was true of probably 80 to 90% of many of the church goers that I encountered. Um, right. And it certainly was true of me. Right. Um, I, I can say that from my early upbringings, I went to church because my parents went to church because my grandmother went to church. And at some point, um, I just kind of stopped going to church. There was a period where I was what, you know, we colloquially call priest or Catholics. Um, you know, I would go to mass every Christmas and every Easter and that was it. Besides that, we slept in on Sundays. We didn't really make much of it. It was just, um, you know, another day of the week. And so this is kind of the basis I had throughout my childhood and, uh, um, you know, up to the cusp of my adulthood right at 18. Um, and now, now, you know, keep in mind uh, that the juxtapose, the juxtapose right there is that um, I went to Catholic school for my entire upbringing through secondary school. So, you know, from pre-K all the way through uh, high school graduation, I was at a Catholic school. And um, my Catholic schools were okay. They were better than any public school what any public school education would have ever given me. But I don't think it was enough in light of the indifferentism that most of the congregations of the churches that they attended had, right? They they did not, I think, instill heavy enough. Um, and maybe this isn't their fault. In fact, I would I would dare to say that it really isn't their fault because it's also the students' parents, right? Um, you know, the kids that surrounded me, for the most part, many of them stop practicing their faith. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's not to say that there are none, but I don't know of any of my classmates from any of those Catholic schools that are still practicing their faith to this day. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't think that it was uh, necessarily the school's fault. I don't even know if the school contributed to them because what ultimately leads to that, what ultimately leads to people falling away from their faith is, you know, a home life where they don't, go out of their way to instill those values, a home life where they're not taking their kids to mass and they're not instructing them because a Catholic school can only do so much. If you're living at home, like, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter what the school's going to teach you. It's not going to matter to you. And so, right. Um, I don't mean that to bash Catholic schools, um, you know, who are doing their best and trying their best. Sure. Just like any other school, just like any other institution, there are some that don't do as good as they should. Um, but yeah, that can be said of any institution as Catholic schools, we hold them to a higher standard, of course, but I'm rambling here. Um, all I mean to say is, um, despite my Catholic school upbringing, I still had a very shaky foundation in my faith. Um, it was again, just one of those things that was part of my upbringing and that I had because it was a cultural thing because my parents went because my grandparents went. Um, and so here I go to college and, uh, I end up getting accepted eventually, um, to Baylor university, the largest Baptist university in the world, right? Um, it's often called the Vatican of Baptists, um, by some people at least. Um, and this 
posed a kind of challenge for me, um, but a very funny challenge because I was going to this Baptist school and I always considered myself a Catholic, even if I wasn't practicing, um, even if I wasn't going to mass, um, it was still something that I was brought up with in enough and that I went to Catholic school enough that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Catholic. And so, you know, I guess I got to really start taking my faith seriously. Um, but you know, this is kind of cool because, uh, and the, these are my honest to God thoughts, by the way, like my honest to God thoughts going into Baylor university as a Christ or Catholic was, Oh man, this is crazy. I went to Catholic school for like 14 years. I'm going to be the like renowned expert on Catholicism to all these Baptists, you know, like all of my classmates, they're going to look at to me as the Catholic expert. And they're going to ask me for all of those, um, all of their like questions about the faith. Um, you know, this is going to be crazy. And you were like, fail. And, <laughs> and it was, it was awful. Um, uh, you know, like cue the memes. Like, I'm sure Jose, you've seen the memes, right? The, I went to Catholic school memes. Um, Oh, those those irritate me precisely because I was one of those. Uh, you know, oh, someone, you know, someone comes up to you and they say they think they know Catholicism better than you because they went to Catholic school for fourteen years and turns out they don't know Jack. I was one of those. I was one of those. And uh, again, um, you know, it, it's it was very very apparent when I got to the Catholic Student Center. And I met one of my very, very good friends. He's still a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, and he met me, asked me who my confirmation saint was, started greeting me by that confirmation saint's name, and then started asking me, um, you know, questions on these church fathers that, um, like, have I read these church fathers? Oh, have you, uh, um, you know, like, what's my opinion on this, that, or the other writing of, like, St. Augustine, who, by the way, I hadn't ever read before. Um, and he was running laps around me as far as, like, Catholic knowledge. And here's the kicker. This guy had not been Catholic for more than eight months. He had just gotten confirmed that past uh, that past Easter, and uh, so he's a Catholic convert. And so here is this guy, like, like this was a world shattering moment for me in my faith. Here is this guy who has been Catholic for less than eight months, who is running circles around me in like faith based knowledge that I feel like I should know. You know if. If I'm here espousing myself to be Catholic, if I went to Catholic school for 14 years, you know, quote unquote, like, and I, I thought that I was this big shot, knowledgeable guy on Catholicism and this guy, you know, like, yeah, this, this kid over here, who's been Catholic for what, eight months, you know, like could school me on any sort of knowledge. I really have to get my act together. I really have to figure this stuff out. And so that, that was really the spark that um, I'll say lit the fire that told me, hey, you're not taking this as seriously as you should. You don't even know half the things that you need to know. Um, and so you really got to get with the program. Yeah, mister, I went to Catholic school for 14 years. That means that you got so that many years of grounds to make up for, and you better start doing it now. And so. From then on, um, this led me into 
a deep dive into the faith throughout college. And I just, I wanted to learn so much more and I became so involved in the student center. Um, and I, I, I just, um, I barked at the chance to get any sort of Catholic knowledge that, that I could and to understand more and more about my faith because I realized how little I did know. Now, here's the cool thing though. Here's the cool thing about um, what came of that is yeah, I say that Catholic schools, you know, like they, they may not have trained me as much as I wish they had, but they didn't do nothing. Of course not. What I found was there was, there were, as I learned more and more about the Catholic faith, as, as I read Lives of the Saints, as I read, um, you know, Augustine's Confessions, as I read, um, you know, the Summa, every little bit of what I read had like a nugget of memory just deep seated in my brain. So that I would read something and later on and be like, oh, yeah, that's this thing. I remember that because, you know, we had a class on that back when I was in high school, back when I was in grade school. And I find that although I didn't have perfect knowledge, and although I wasn't a practicing Catholic coming out of high school, I definitely had a foundation that set me up to know more and learn more and learn better than I think many other people, you know, could have learned given the situation. And so that was a really um, encouraging thing about taking my faith seriously. So another thing that happened and just to touch on, you know, the, um, the trad side of life is I was introduced to the Latin mass there. And what uh, is kind of curious about my experience with Latin Mass versus, say, yours, is that I will say that my experience with Latin Mass started first as an intellectual thing. Um, and, you know, not to say that you, you know, you, you, you went on record saying how much you studied it, right? But um, what I'm saying is I didn't have that initial, like, feeling of movement when I first went to Latin Mass. It was more of a oh, hey, look, this is so cool. Oh, because like, this is how they do things. And there's like all these reasons on why they do this, that, and the other thing. And oh, this isn't in like our mass. And oh, it comes from this and it comes from this tradition and it comes from that tradition. So at first it wasn't a like a movement of the heart. It was a movement of the intellect. It was, oh, that's so cool because this is founded in this historical tradition that I'm now just rediscovering. Um, and I, and that's, that's how I, I marry those two is at the time I was learning more and more about my own faith and learning more and more about the history of my faith. And so, you know, d during college, I would say I was definitely in intellect mode. I was learning about all these things. So when I encountered the Latin mass, which they, they just so happened to have in town at the time. Um, and, uh, when I encountered that for the first time, it was, wow, this thing is really cool. Um, I love the history of it. And I kind of want to keep going. And so, you know, I kept going and I kept going. And the neat thing for me is it turned from, uh, in a very, dare I say, Dominican um, way, uh, it turned from a movement of the intellect into a movement of the heart. And so I slowly began to be transformed by the Latin Mass. And as I would go to high masses and I was, as I would, um, you know, hear um the polyphony or the chant or you know whatever it was that they were um singing at the time just this 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 beauty encapsulated the liturgy that i think really really 
sprung me forward even more than had I just continued going to Nova Sordo and not to bash Nova Sordo or anything like that at all. Um, it's just that, you know, my soul was fed way more. And again, that fire that was sparked by my good friend that led me to want to rediscover my faith more was pro essentially the Latin mass took a big bottle of lighter fluid and sprayed it all over that fire and just made it skyrocket even further. Um, and just for the record, so, we're yeah. FSSP. Uh, we're not, we're not promoting anything else. Uh, we're a hundred percent communing with Rome. We're not breaking away. We're not in schism. We're none of that. We're in communion yeah. with Rome. Yeah, no, we're, we're not. We're um, not the Nova Sordo bad trads. We're just you know the the happy trads. Though we like our Latin mass trads. Um, yeah, and so, leave us yeah, alone. No. Uh, <laughs> um but anyway the yeah the latin mass holds that kind of beauty right and so it really sparked that desire to dive even deeper in my faith so um i've rambled on a bit here um i was in college and i wanted to delve deeper into my faith and i did um i guess in college uh you know just kind of for context of uh, you know, who I am, how I think and all that. I studied physics. So I was always very scientifically minded. Um, and uh, physics is a very difficult degree. And because of the rediscovery of faith and because of a whole mess of other things that were going in, on in my life in college, um, in in part, the um, the struggles of trying to take my faith seriously after years of not taking it seriously in other part i guess more typical things that college kids go through oh am i smart enough to be doing this am i smart enough to get the degree um you know like am i am i where i'm supposed to be um and then um you know i guess more catholic things oh am i discerning a religious life to the priesthood should i actually enter seminary after college you know what's um you know w what is my ultimate vocation there anyway all of these things all of these struggles um had some like really rocky up and downs for me in college and I ended up taking um a couple of extra years so I didn't graduate in your typical four years um but in the interim um to speak to uh your initial words of introduction about me uh I took up bartending um I when I was in college funny story about that too if I might digress a little more um growing up I always hated beer I hated beer. I did not like beer at all. I despised beer. And that was precisely because the beer that I had always tried was the beer that, you know, like uncles and dads and all of them would, um, you know, bring you over and they'd be, come here, me, Heath, come on, come, come here, try this. And they'd give you a sip of their beer and it was Bud Light, it was Coors Light, it was Miller Light, your American light lagers that just taste like trash. Um, and so I, you know, I had it in my head that that is what all beer was, and that is what all beer tasted like. And hey, so, Coors Light's not that bad. Coors Light's not that bad, but it's still an American light beer, and it's not that. Good. Look at that right there, Coors <laughs> oh. Banquet. Don't don't trash on my Coors. Hey, hey, hey that's not that, that's not Coors Light. That's Coors. That's a Yellow Belly. Okay, so there, there's a little more flavor there. So you know, I'll I'll, I'll I give like it a light pass. Too. <laughs> um. Well, anyway. Um, your 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 bad taste in beer aside, um, what I discovered in uh, oh, I challenge what you I to a duel now. College, 
Hey, hey, again, bartender, you see all these liquors up here? Let's go. Come on. Um, but what I discovered in college was beer doesn't have to taste bad. And how I discovered that was another good friend of mine who was really into making his own beer. And he showed me through his own brews that, oh, no, beer can actually taste good. You just have to make it yourself. And that was my first introduction into the world of craft beer. It was, oh, make beer at home and put all the stuff that you want in it to make it taste good. Um, and it was very soon after that that I discovered, oh, this whole world of craft breweries also exists, right? There are breweries here and there and um, everywhere that are making the best beers in the world and the weirdest and wildest beers that you can imagine. You know, in, in, in my time since um, I... I had been turned on to the light of beer. Um, I've enjoyed pickle beers. I've enjoyed ice cream beers. I've enjoyed milkshake beers, if you can believe that that's a thing. Um, I've uh, uh, th there's one notable brewery that is now defunct. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm so sad about this. The Collective Brewing Project. They created a ramen noodle beer. Oh, no, like, like this gross. thing tasted. That the, yeah, that's weird. But but hear me out. Uh, it tasted like ramen, but in the best way possible. So the, their their uh, their spices were lemongrass and ginger. So it had like a lemongrass ginger taste. And their uh, their their shtick, the cool thing was they used ramen noodles as like the base that they fermented the beer with, right? So um, instead of wheat or instead of um, yeah, instead of wheat or other grains that you normally use to make beer, they used ramen noodles. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, Not all types of beer under the suns I've tried. Um, they're crazy, they're wild, but they taste delicious. And side note, that led me into a love of alcohol. Go ahead. So in El Paso, if you're in El Paso and you're a El Pasoan, whatever you call yourselves, um, my friend. And it's not sponsored. It's just shout out to him and for y'all to go visit. If you're in El Paso, the Three Missions Brewery. He had he just started his brewery a couple years ago, and it's it's blowing up. He has craft beer. It's pretty good. I'm pretty sure. I really want to go visit. It's in the town starts with an S. Uh, Sacramento? Um, no, 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 no. Uh, Socorro. Yeah, Socorro. That's where it's at. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're in El Paso, just a little side note, pass by the Three Missions Brewery. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. When I, was, uh, when I was growing up in El Paso, zero craft breweries. When I went back as an adult, three craft breweries. Now, one of those craft breweries has actually gone defunct, but they have, I think, seven craft breweries. So craft mm -hmm. beer has really exploded in El Paso, which is awesome. But Actually, it's not awesome because I don't live there and I haven't been able to try them all. But it's awesome for people who are still in El Paso. And whenever I visit, I'll have to I'll have to stop by. Um, anyway, um, yeah, craft beer led me into a love of alcohol. And so I knew um, in college that I really wanted to get into bartending because that experience of trying beer crafted by my friend that was actually delicious led me to believe and this turned out to be 100% true that 
any form of alcohol that you drink can be delicious if you know what you're doing and if you know how to make it right. And so it started with a love of craft beer. And that love of craft beer slowly grew. And I started making beer myself. And I started helping my friend make beer. And I still help him make beer sometimes. Um, and we make some pretty good beer. But on top of that, I also wanted to learn more about wine. I also wanted to learn more about whiskey. I also wanted to learn more about vodka. What were these heavier spirits that people make cocktails with. How do you make a cocktail? What goes into that? And so again, alluding to Chesterton, this this love of the 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 things that you can take pleasure in in this life, um, I wanted to learn how to craft those things just beautifully and masterfully and make something delicious. Um, and so I started bartending um, in college in my intern period before I was graduating, but while I was like taking a semester off or during the summers or whatever. And um, I started learning a lot about alcohol and it was awesome. And I learned so much, um, you know, being on the ground, learning how to mix things um, and just learning more and more about um, alcohol, what it does, its history um, and uh, all of that. So long story short, by the time I got out of college, I had a love of alcohol. I was a professional bartender. Um, I did that for uh, a year or so afterwards, and um, I, I really got into it, and I really learned to appreciate all sorts of alcohol, spirits, wine, and beer. Um, and so that's been very integral into my adulthood, right, is uh, um, having that as part of uh, my social circle having that as part of dare i say my identity is loving the craft that goes into that and especially loving the people that surround you and the people and friendships that you can make because of it um again we're divulging we're not divulging uh we're diverging here a little bit um finishing up story about my life um met my wife in college um she was the little sister of one of my good friends and we hit it off really well. We became friends, but, you know, those kind of distant friends, we'd see each other, we'd say hi. Um, but it wasn't until late in college that we actually started becoming really, really close friends. Um, she was dating someone at the time. Again, story for a different day. Eventually they broke up. We started dating and we kept dating. And I decided, hey, this is the woman I really want to marry. And so I did. And we got married. It was a beautiful COVID wedding. None of our family were uh, not none of our family, but like hardly any of our family was able to attend because, you know, COVID went crazy and the earth died and everyone blew up and everyone was scared out of their minds to do this, that or the other thing. Um, and so we had a wedding with many of our friends, with some of our family, um, and it was one of the best days of our lives because we finally sealed the deal and got to marry each other and marry each of our best friends, her to me and me to her. And uh, we started living our life together and it was awesome. Uh, we have two kids now and we're, you know, here in Dallas um, trying to get by every day. Um, yeah. Living life as best that we can. Um, again, just by nature of being humans Every day is an up and down struggle with this, that, or the other thing. But as we're all called to as uh, Catholic people, um, we're just trying to be saints and live life and, um, you know, get through this earthly pilgrimage that God has given to us. So that's me. Hey, well, this is us.
Um, by the way, I'm married, have two kids as well. We both actually just had babies just recently. Mine just turned no, actually, two months. Yeah, this is crazy. We found out that we had the exact same age children too. So um, oh, yeah. we, we were very curiously right on each other's timelines because uh, your first baby was born in 2021 in like September or something, right? No, uh, January. January 2021. Okay. Uh, um, ours was uh, just, a, just a, a little under a year later. So in November. So they're uh, approximately the same age. And then our second babies, I think, are only a month apart because mine was just this past yeah. October. Yours is uh, what, August? September. 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 Yeah. So not even a month. Yeah, no, it's perfect. I, um, there's a balance. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, sure. The, the beer, the, the alcoholic beverages, uh, that everyone's so afraid or that a lot of people really, <laughs> you'll be impressed with how many people I hear, um, pretty much say that Catholics don't drink alcohol, that they don't do this, they don't do that. It's all a lie. What and rock have they been living under? That. That's what I've been asking. Except what rock have they been living that. under, dude? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, we're not in the 1800s here. Um, I mean, but we're also Catholic, and no Catholic has ever not... Like, yeah, Catholicism monks, has never not been alcohol-friendly. Dude, Jesus himself created beer. <laughs> Jesus turned water into wine, so you know what's that? Yeah, and Nonsense. he was parting it up. <laughs> I mean, again, so yeah, yeah so uh, I mean, turning water into wine. Oh yeah, I, he needs to do that to whiskey. It'll be the that Jesus be bourbon. One heck of a party. The Jesus bourbon. <laughs> Um, no, but, um, we're going to be talking about most of this stuff. It, it's an intro to both of us, to the show. Uh, but we, there is one topic that we really would like to talk about. And that's, uh, if you haven't heard, um, how, how can I put this? Uh, Bishop Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler has been removed from the seat, from his seat of Tyler, um, for us that attended land mass it's, it's pretty it's a big blow uh because he was one of the biggest advocates for the land mass um and just to debunk some things i've heard he was not a traditionalist uh he was just a bishop uh nothing to do with the land mass per se um he's just a diocesan priest uh who just became a bishop of tyler um but he did he was a strong conservative bishop who supported the land mass and the FSSP who he has in that, uh, diocese. Um, it's quite a blow because, you know, you, we have these bishops who support the TLM and, um, being shut down little by little. Um, I'm not going to start naming people or naming things or blaming people because at the end of the day, uh we are catholics and uh we know we the pope is the pope and our duty is to pray for him um something believe it or not what what mass did you go to we by the way we go to the same parish 
Uh, so yeah, I, um, actually, correction. I don't really go to. Uh, I don't go to Mantra Day um, very frequently. It's 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 a once in a while now, and that's only because of my job. Um, because uh, as uh, as Jose alluded to earlier, I'm a Knight of Columbus, and uh, I'm a field agent. And what that means is I'm assigned like four or five different parishes. And so almost every Sunday, I hop back and forth between every single one of them. So uh, I'm going to modern day maybe like once a month or, um, you know, like something there they're in. Um, so what mass did I go to? I went to 9 a.m. at a, a small little parish up in Richardson, Texas. Um, yeah, this job has me hiking all over the place. Well, in that case, um, today... Uh, the priest says something else in the homily, which was pretty interesting. He says, God allows the cockle to grow with the wheat. Um, so he does with the church. He allows the good and the bad to grow together within. Um, and it's our duty to kind of be patient for that cockle to kind of grow out. Um, he wasn't talking about anything specific within uh, the church. He was talking about us. But I can kind of use that, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for it. And if I do, oh well. Um, not everything is going to go our way, ever. Um, we're here. It's a it's a pilgrimage that we're on in this life. And what's going on to, to Bishop Strickland, um, well, it's sad. Um, what, what were the intentions? It's not clear. <clears throat> Excuse me. Supposedly it has to do with the uh for him not following the the um what's it called? Um the T C Traditionis uh, Custodis. There you go. That he wasn't following it to the T, um, because he knew the danger that that was going to have or yeah, the danger that that was gonna cause his diocese. He was gonna lose more than half of his people pretty much. Um, leave these people just there, dry, and so that's that's the rumor that's going on going around right now another thing i'm not sure if you've heard this uh the set of a cuntism that he was promoting it um which again i i saw the video i don't think he was promoting it whatsoever uh but that's just my opinion uh maybe he was maybe he wasn't from what i heard sure he was reading a letter but i don't think it was that he was promoting it uh and um third I just don't see why he was he was forced to vacate. Uh and it wasn't he was oh you have to vacate now. No. Like it, it was it oh vacate in a week. No, it was vacate now immediately. And so that causes some trouble in the tr within the church because uh believe it or not my dear my dears it's becoming a modernist church. Um but the church is a church. Uh whatever the pope says I will obey, um, but it's 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 tough. I mean, I I would like to you know expand on it, but I will not expand on it today just because the episode will be too long. I have my <laughs> my own opinions, and I'm pretty sure Sam does too. Uh, but but yeah, I I believe I believe it was unfair. I do, you know, there's a hashtag. I hashtag I stand with Strickland. Um, that'll be me. I stand with him. I believe his values and his beliefs are strong and conservative, which is something 
that us Catholics need. <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel that uh, drink some water. Catholics now drink that whiskey behind become... you. It'll help clear the throat better. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> uh, I just feel that Catholics nowadays need someone like him, and also like Bishop Snyder. Uh, I'm I'm gonna throw his name out there. We need we need discipline. Us Catholics are becoming too lukewarm. We're becoming too free, too liberal. Just to put it this way, I know so many Catholics who, and again, we might get in trouble and we might actually get shut down immediately with the first episode. But a lot of Catholics are pro-abortion and that has to stop. How? I believe by going back to tradition and having these bishops have our back, having our back and defending us. I'm going to say something that I think might be a little more controversial than what you said. I think that there are zero Catholics that are pro-abortion. Because if you're pro-abortion, you're not Catholic. True. True. But they all have carry the name of Catholics. And it's 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 right, ridiculous right, right. to me. This is something I was this is something that I was talking and, to my wife about it about the other day. And it, it really makes me mad because as a person who's trying to to live his Catholic his faith as 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 good as possible and hearing other Catholics you know, be pro-abortion. That's not right. Right, and I'll and I'll hop into and I'll t- you know I'll, I'll I'll mention because I f- I feel the exact same way. Um, first of all, let's 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 do the let's do the disclaimers. Let's do the let's try not to get us shut down too. No, we're not saying that if you're pro-abortion, you are automatically you know like unbaptized <laughs> or anything like that. Um, but in considering how serious abortion is, always keep in mind there is there is a uh, there is a paragraph excuse me in the in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that says that if you procure an abortion or if you assist in someone procuring an abortion, you are latit. Uh, dang it, I can't pronounce Latin right. Uh, latte sentiente. I think that's how you pronounce it. Excommunication, excommunicated, which means that you are automatically excommunicated by the fact that you sought sought this out. So it is serious, and if you have procured it, then you have been removed from the church. That doesn't mean that you're unbaptized. I know that's a big um, that's a big issue too with people's hurt feelings. They're saying, "Oh, how can you say whether or not they're Catholic or not?" Um, I actually, I'm not saying it. The the catechism is the catechism literally has a line that says they're separated from the church, i.e., they're they're not really Catholic anymore. They're, they're at least they're not within the fold of the church. Okay, there's the disclaimer. Um, you know, letting it's just saying that right now because it's not us saying it, it's the church saying it. And, you know, we're not passing judgment on anyone. We're letting the church documents speak for themselves. But that being said, absolutely. I, one of the things that I do want to express with this podcast as well, and yeah, Jose, you were, you were getting to this, is it's frustrating as, people that are practicing Catholic or that are trying to be as practicing Catholic as we are. And don't get me wrong, you know, as most anyone who is practicing will tell you, who is honestly practicing will tell you, we accuse ourselves first, mea culpa first, right? Look at, uh, what is it? Look at the log in your own eye before you pluck this, the point out the splinter in another's. I'm not the best practicing Catholic. N- nowhere near. 
but I'm trying my best every day. I can honestly say that. And I can honestly say that I'm trying to get better and better each day. And even when I do fall and even when I do make mistakes and even when I do have to go to confession, I pick myself up and I try to do better to not do that again. But um, just to speak about, um, I guess, you know, the topic on Bishop Strickland, because uh, this happened yesterday, Saturday, and I've been kind of just watching as um, as I'm sure many trads have. Uh, I've been watching a lot of news about it and uh, I've been trying to keep up with um, other podcasts talking about it. And uh, I was watching one that's that some summarized it very well. And this is what I'll say about it just in brief. Um, it shouldn't matter what other commenters say. It shouldn't matter what we say about the situation. Um, if it doesn't affect your personal holiness, don't worry about it and move forward. However, that being said, we do have opinions about it because it does, uh, in a sense, rile up that righteous anger in us that can affect our holiness. And that is, um, you know, these questions like, what is going on here? Why is this happening? Um, and especially again, us as us as trads, us is you know people that think more traditional minded and that have such an appreciation for the Latin Mass, um, with things like Traditionis Custodis being promulgated, with things like Bishop Strickland, um, uh, being removed, is a kind of sense of what did I do, you know, like what did we do, what did we as a community do to you know like to have this happen to us um a very popular podcaster uh very popular um you know according to our standards that i listened to had a comment about um traditionis custodis that um went something like this is you know his um the latin mass parish that he attended um was dismantled by that you know by that um, motu proprio. And this was a community that was not set of a contest. This is a community that pledged all fealty to the Pope. This is a community that just liked the Latin Mass, right? They just enjoyed the traditional liturgy and enjoyed going to it. And with one swoop of the pen, as it were, um, they could no longer practice the Latin Mass because they weren't FSSP. They were just a, dios a diocesan Latin Mass. And so their community was disbanded. The liturgy that they loved and, you know, held dear to was completely disbanded. Um, all these just run-of-the-mill practicing Catholics who have absolutely no issues with the Pope, you know, through that time. Um, and it, it really begs the question to us, like, what did we do? Like, why is this happening? Why? Um, why would in, – in, if, if I can make it personal – why would Pope Francis do this to us? Right? Like, like, did we, did we wrong him in some way? Did we personally attack him? And again, more disclaimers. I'm not the Pope. I'm not saying that. I don't know what he's thinking and I'm not the vicar of Christ. I don't know what's best for the church and I don't claim to. Um, but what I am saying is that us, um, us men, us families, um, you know, us, uh, lay people who are trying to do the best that we can that just so happen to also appreciate um, traditional liturgies and traditional bishops. Um, or, you know, as you said, he, he wasn't, Bishop Strickland isn't strictly speaking a trad, but he supported 
the traditionalist movement. Like, why are we being bullied? What, you know, like, what did I personally do to offend Pope Francis? You know, like, is, is it's funny. Uh, the way I practice Catholicism so wrong that, you know, he has to go after the bishop that I admire and the mass that I love. Go ahead. It's funny because, like, I haven't heard a trad protest. I haven't heard any traditionalist or anyone who attends land mass defend themselves or defend this this cause we're speaking out uh in a rare how can i put it we we take the persecution let's put it that way uh we're taking it in because at the end of the day it is persecution um because i honestly don't know any unless you do any traditionalist who really is out there forcing people to go to the land mass or telling people, hey, uh, your mass is wrong or hey, this or anything negative about anything else. Um, I don't know anyone who's who's done anything like that uh, for us to truly be persecuted in that in that way. Um, because you know what? Um, I just let, let's put it this way. I, I saw this one mass. Um, and that's where I was like, I'm, I'm done with the Novus Ordo. Uh, not once again, disclaimer, I'm not saying Novus Ordo is invalid. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm just saying, I just don't like the way certain priests take advantage of it because there's this leeway, uh, that they have to do certain things. Um, the priest walked in barefoot and I was like, wait, uh, why are you barefoot? Um, you need some shoes. I don't and... think that's necessarily wrong, but that's at least very weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is that, like, he, you know, something would, if he would have justified it or, you know, hey, you know, I'm barefoot in, in honor of so-and-so or I'm something, right? Uh, he just walked in and, uh, you know, did the normal thing. And I was just like, wait. That's not right. I, I honestly don't think that's right. Like, I'm more distracted by your toes than I am paying attention. Um, Like, I I don't understand. But anyways, but what I'm trying to say is we don't, we don't really, you know, we're not attacking anyone. We're not saying anything. So why are we being picked on? We're getting picked on by by the majority you know and um is it fair well there's no such thing as being fair right um but it's still sad let's put it that way because i've heard of and these articles on my research that you know i previously was was talking about uh two parishes from pennsylvania were were shut down the bishop after uh tried to uh uh tried to what's it What's it called again? Traditionis Custodis. It's so hard to pronounce. Anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> once that came out, that motu proprio came out, uh, a bishop automatically closed down two parishes, and those people had to leave because their church was a TLM church, and they, it got shut down, and they had to leave. And that to me saddens – it saddens me, and it's a sincere sadness because – 
if we're called to bring people into the church, why are we sending them away? Um, that's that's my point. My 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 point of view. Why are we shutting these things down that work for people? For example, the group I was in, it wasn't working for me. But I'm not going to tell people not to go there. I'm not going to tell people, oh, it needs, mm-hmm. it needs to be shut down. No, it, it just because it didn't work for me doesn't mean it's not going to work for anyone, right? But at the same time, I think I think Pope Benedict know, put it best when he allowed Latin masses to happen back in 2007 with his motu proprio. Uh, I think the exact wording was, uh, "Let that which previous generations considered holy." Uh, I, I think it's let that still be considered holy or let that not be considered unholy or something like that. But basically he's saying, Hey, look, this traditional, uh, this traditional liturgy that generations before today have uh, enjoyed. That's not, that's not not, that's no longer not holy have that too. And that's why, you know, Pope Benedict allowed us to say the Latin mass and experience the Latin mass as people who were uh, at that point, what, 40 years removed from, having ever seen, you know, a live Latin mass. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would, I would just echo that sentiment is almost every trad that I've ever met, almost every Latin mass goer that I've ever met is not trying to shut down, you know, like um, Novus Ordo parishes is not trying to shut down Novus Ordo, but they have this love and appreciation for the Latin mass and it's bringing them closer to Christ and it's bringing them closer to holiness. and yet they feel like they're being attacked for you know, no reason. They're just going to Latin Mass. Um, and that's, I want to say, and this is anecdotal, because, again, I don't know every Latin Mass parish that exists. I don't know, you know the heart of every person that goes to every Latin Mass that exists. But I would like to be hopeful and say, like, 90% of everyone that goes to a Latin Mass parish is just going to a Latin Mass parish because they love Latin Mass, not because they're trying to dismantle Novus Ordo and they think that the Pope is fake and not the real Pope, and you know they're trying to establish a new Catholicism. And so, you know, what does that say about like our leadership's priorities? Are they are they misinformed, like, or are they seeing something that we're not? It's possible. It's, in fact, maybe maybe that's likely. They are seeing something that we're not. But why do you have to bring the hammer down on even those faithful practitioners? You know, why why not seek out and root out those people that are a problem? Um, that doesn't make sense to me. But again, I think not the Pope. Um, I don't know his mind. I think we should not the clergy. I think we but, should, you know, kind of explain, you know, everything after Second Vatican Council uh, in a different episode. Um. Where we can, because it's a touchy subject. Um, if you read, uh, I think it's Sumorum Pontificum, Pontificum. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll it if you read it, and you go to the ordinariate, the ordinariate's the most, if not the, the style that that document specifically says. I would I would argue that yeah the Anglican ordinaria is the fulfillment of what Sumorum Pontificum tried to establish as the Novus Ordo. You know it, it, it. So I I think you know what let's save that for a a different episode where we can kind of go into detail. 
um because i i feel i feel that most catholics are just not informed with what's going on the certain things heck i, I can bet you most don't even know what a motor proprio is uh and you know i think it's important to kind of explain everything everything that we need to do so we're going to keep y'all on that on that note um just just so that you you don't just listen to two guys just blab on about nothing we're going to concretely explain things to you um as you as you you know you've been hearing listening he has a degree in physics i have a degree in catholic theology on the philosophy track so i think we can bring a lot to the table especially when it comes down to documents uh that we've you know we've studied i'm pretty sure he's studied uh certain things i've studied certain things so i think we can you know bring it concretely to the table and give you more information about it um that way if there is any doubt and i was just gonna say and beyond that um not just in not just in like an authoritative teaching aspect, right? We're not Catholic teachers. We're not like again, we're not bishops. We're not Catholic professors. Um, but just to give you um, some perspective, uh, my wife likes to uh, uh, do this. My wife, um, so my wife is very logically minded, like I am, which is part of the reason that we get along a lot. And um, the way that she likes to express um, herself in any conversation um, is she uh, over explains a lot um, so that she can be sure that her interlocutors or whoever she's talking with um, understands her perspective completely and through and through. And so um, much in that same way, uh, at least the way I envision us, you know, explaining things, um, you know, like what a motor proprio is or anything like that. Um, it's not as people, again, we're common guys. We're, we're common folk. We're everyday Catholics. We're not teachers. Um, I'm, I hope that we don't come off as guys with a, guys with authority that are telling you this is exactly how it is, but rather just giving you guys perspective, our perspective as lay people, our perspective as common guys, um, right? Hey, this is what we understand to be true. This is what, um, you know, like the perspective that we're coming from. And this is the explanation of why we think that the way we, the way that we do, because this, these are the facts as we understand them. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe, you know, uh, we misunderstand something, but you know, we'll flesh that out. We'll talk about it. And maybe you guys can give us some feedback on that as well. But yeah, that's what I'm hoping to establish also is not, not just, um, oh, Hey, we're going to teach you guys all these things, but also, Hey, by the way, this is our understanding. This is where we're coming from so that our conversations can have a better, uh, cohesiveness and, uh, yeah, everyone's on the same page. And like Jose said, we're not just two guys rambling about absolutely nothing. Yeah. So with that being said, hopefully y'all like this episode. We're going to end on that note because I feel that we can go on all night. Um, we'll end on that note. Stay tuned for the next episode. Hopefully we can do it weekly. Um, if not, we'll try bi-weekly, but for sure we're going to shoot for weekly. Um, like, subscribe, comment, and if you're listening on Spotify... All I can say is follow and just stay tuned because we are just two guys who are ready to talk. So 
and maybe we're overemphasizing that too much, but uh, yeah, we just we're two guys that want to get our voices heard, and may- maybe some of you guys are the same way, and so we're hoping that this appeals to y'all that uh, you guys like us want someone to say what you're thinking, and maybe we're thinking the same things. So here you go. So to end it, let's uh, let's do a hail mary for. Uh, Strickland and the glory be that way uh, God grants him the the grace to you know go through this Um, I'm pretty sure it's humiliating for him you know just out of nowhere so um, Mm -hmm. uh, Hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee blessed are the fruits of thy womb Jesus glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost the Son and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and hope you tune in next time. See ya.